0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We talked today to Gianni Kovakovic, who is the CEO of Copper Bank. They are an optionality play. They are buying up Copper assets, mostly in the US, because they think they'll have some future value. They have no intention of developing or exploring those themselves, but looking for partners to come in and do that for them. It's quite an interesting business model, not much understood, but enjoy what he has to say. Hey Giovanni, how are you doing, sir? I'm up and got my coffee
1: going at 6am in Vancouver and everything's going really well. Thank you.
0: Wow. Early start. Early start. I'm I'm impressed. You have to on the West Coast. You do. Yeah, you do. Well, look, why don't we kick off, give everyone who's new to the story a one-minute overview and then we'll, we'll pick it up from there.
1: Yeah. So the the copper bank is an optionality play for copper, where we've acquired established assets. In we we like the United States because of for all the reasons that people probably should know, including now a 21% corporate tax rate. And from my understanding, it's where mid-tier and larger mining copper mining companies that's where they want to focus is one of the key jurisdictions for the next 10-20 years. Private property and the fact that it has a long You know, 150-year history of copper mining, particularly in Arizona and Nevada. So we have these assets. We have a dedicated team. We're we're owner operators. We self finance. We don't issue warrants, and we treat it like a school bus. So when that the the copper price, in in my view, when as it increases, you know, there's a lot of torque on on a per share basis with the company. And of course, we like to provide the evidence to all the mid tier. Uh, companies that we meet along the way and uh, on how we can uh, grow our assets and de-risk it in the future.
0: Beautiful. Thanks very much for that. I always like to try and understand what's going on in the heads of the management team. So you are okay, owner operators, I get it. Um, Tell me, what was the big idea when you started off? You obviously like Copper, I get that, but maybe you can tell us what's your background, why Copper and what it is that you're trying to build here. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll maybe ask questions along the way.
1: I've speculated in junior mining shares since about 1995. That's when I opened my first account. And as anyone who has ever owned or followed junior mining, you know it's really high highs and really low lows. Feels great when you're making money and it's just such, a, such an empty gutted feeling when, when there's no end to the misery. Once you've seen a couple cycles, you actually embrace that volatility because you understand it is going to come again. And these market caps or the share prices fall it's incredible 90 95% but along the way when good people are are moving their businesses along they're able to raise a lot of money at high valuations in the good times expiration is completed and then they throw the baby with the bathwater so in around 2014 2015 we were already 4 years into a bear market 3 or 4 years we like to finance junior mining companies but you know we had the opportunity to buy the whole project, which is what we did. Aggregated a few friends, put a little bit of money together so we could pay these holding costs and pay the legal to reconsolidate everything. And we put them under the the Copper Bank umbrella to hold the projects. And ideally we wanted to acquire like seven or eight or nine, but it's hard to find. There, there, there are, simply aren't a lot of developed uh, Copper projects in good locations with management teams that wanted to do a progressive deal with you. And Lo and behold ten years later we're, we're, we're still in a bear market if you could we've had a couple of little false starts and in the 2018 dip we bought yet another project so we, we embraced the volatility and understood that on accretively it was it was beneficial for us to buy pounds on the ground rather than go drilling why should I go spend a dollar on the dollar to drill when I can buy drilling for five cents on the dollar and then we're now in a, what I believe is um, this decade is going to be the decade of copper and it's electrification and when you understand what's going on with the majors and the mid tiers grade is falling um, it's getting far more difficult in every jurisdiction including Peru including Chile to permit and, and move forward these projects it's, um, it's going to be a, a, these things are going to collide together very steady demand post-COVID this is going to be a huge amount of stimulus towards electrification infrastructure and no matter what happens, it's very hard for the supply to that's going to keep grow at the same tiger. So there's going to be, a, I believe, a price reaction in copper, and then these optionality plays. All of a sudden, eureka! People are going to start uh, focusing a little more on them.
0: Okay, so so let's let's break that down a bit. So you 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 obviously like copper, and you can sort of see the trend, and you know EV thematic suggests, you know, the numbers all suggest that we're, we're all going to be driving around in electric cars soon enough. Um, so you buying into that. What do you mean by this is an optionality play? What should people try and understand from that?
1: If you're, if you're a speculator, so this, this is the, the, the classic type of investment for someone who is a contrarian, looks at something, it's, it's like if you go into the options market and we just saw a classic example with oil, it went negative. And it was basically a bunch of um, unsophisticated retail investors using products, figuring once oil gets to a certain level, I can't lose. But of course, the the, the more sophisticated traders, look what happened. So options, unfortunately, have a time expiry. So when you're buying real estate with respect to a oil, oil resource or a copper resource, if you own the real estate or have those patented or mining claims, which in the United States are, are good for good in perpetuity long as you pay the annual holding costs, that has no time expiry. So this optionality play is buying Copper in the ground at a fraction of its cost. And by that, I mean, if you look at not just Copper Bank, but there are many companies that are trading at, you know, one third of one penny per established pound in the ground. Okay. And the transaction value of everything that occurred from about 2006 to 2011, sort of the the, the 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 China boom, these deposits were selling for three, four, ten cents per pound in the ground. So if you ever get back to that kind of uh, market, you could see buying something at one third of a penny per pound in the ground, and then all of a sudden the majors and mid tiers start buying these things at two, three, four cents a pound in the ground. That's optionality. But there's another thing to reinforce that because we just went through an unprecedented level of spending with respect to exploration on a global scale with from the biggest companies Rio Tinto BHP all the way down to the juniors that, on the TSX and the ASX that raised countless billions of dollars that went to money heaven. We now have data, we have math that tells us it costs approximately three or four cents to delineate a measured and indicated copper pound. So if you want to find it a deposit of merit A porphyry that's got five to 10 billion pounds, it takes time, it takes teamwork, it takes capital, and effectively, you know, two or $300 million is what you're gonna have to spend. So, once again, it reinforces there's a mid tier. Well, why would they pay two cents or a penny and a half? Because they know there was a lot of failure. So, let's go and de risk what's already been discovered. There's no sense going and paying that again. So we, we, we believe that, that that scenario will come into play. you just have to be uh, not greedy you have to be a very fair partner and make a fair deal with a company more senior than yourselves.
0: Okay okay I, I understand what you're trying to do and um, if I look at back at 2017 share price about 16 cents, you're about a quarter of that today. Do you think the market just doesn't understand what you're trying to do? Or put it another way, do you think you've done a good enough job of explaining to the market what it is that you're trying to do?
1: I'm glad that you picked that up. So for people that are hearing the Copper Bank story for the first time or those that have followed it since five years, when we launched the strategy, we put together our money, one point six million dollars at ten cents per share. At the last minute, the people who were buying the projects, they wanted a warrant. We don't do warrants. Okay. So we set the warrant price at $0.50, way out of the money. So everyone has to make a a significant return for that to be crystallized. The next day, remember, we issued shares free tradable because it was a prospectus level offering November of 2014. We put $1.6 at $0.10. The next day, our stock went to $0.03. And it traded sideways for 15 or 16 months. We bought back about 70 percent of the shares that we issued from those people that just wanted out they were losing whoever sold their shares was losing 90 95 97% of whatever they paid for them once upon a time i was happy to buy those shares i acquired my first 15 million in the market paid for them all there's no check swapping or none of this nonsense in our company and i but i told the story I went on the road for 15 months, anyone that knows me at every conference, all the, I, I just told people this is an optionality play. This could be explosive to the upside. So we went in that period, in about four months, our share went from $0.04 cents to $0.18. Cents. And I'm getting calls saying, what's the program? What are you doing? Are you marketing? I said, I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing. I simply told the story to many thousands of people and they started to buy this like a copper ETF. So we know it works. And even after that period of time we've had four or five um, you can look at the chart four or five periods where it within within two weeks our share price doubles that's the volatility of of the copper bank share and we still have not been in a market where there's euphoria with the price of copper we got to that area uh, just before the china trade tariffs in 2018 where the copper price was around 320 330 and the Copper Bank was 12 13 $0.14, cents, $0.10, cents, and, but every single time that we had to raise capital for our uh, property payments, we always did it at a premium without a warrant. So just to maintain that, why should someone buy the mark, our shares in the, on the open market rather than wait for some financing like they always do? Every single time, including you'll see in the next 10 days, we're doing a little top-up financing, two people, me and one other person, and it will be done at $0.06 cents with no warrant. So it just reinforces that. You can, you can still participate with us as a speculator here at the you know, five cents level. So that, that's what happened there. Actually, nothing was going on other than the fact that people gravitated towards, this is one of the instruments that they were using, certain speculators to, to participate in the rise in the Copper price. Are you, are you
0: frustrated by this process? People just not understanding it. So I get when you go and talk to them, you, you bump the market up, there's a bit of volatility along the way, but general trend is down. It must be frustrating. I eat my own cooking,
1: so let's go back in time. If you do an audit of when did I buy shares, I have about a seven or eight pages of insider buying. Whenever our share price got to these critical lows, me and my team put up, I would say hundreds of thousands of shares of bid support, if, if it was ever to get to those levels, because of course I'm happy to buy the shares. And I consistently go here and there up to the offer to participate every month. Every, every six weeks when we're not blocked out to buy shares. So, I, I now have tens of millions of reasons to want Copper Bank to succeed. So, I'm not doing it because I'm a nice guy. I'm doing it because I firmly believe, and we will reinforce that case for anyone watching so far, I will show you how I believe this is a 10-bagger-in-waiting. And it's not because of, as my friend Rick Rule would say, in this game, there are if-questions and when-questions. This is not an if this happens and if this happens, it's a when. When the copper price is at different levels, because it gives confidence to the mid-tier and senior mining companies. People that I know, where the C-suite tells their team, go and replace reserves. Go and you have more money to do resource exploration. Okay. And that's where we that's where we engage with them.
0: Okay, so let's let's come back to that because you, you've you've struck struck upon a a, a topic that which I think is relevant is. You know, it's no good just saying, hey, I've bought Copper assets. There's, there's good Copper assets, there's bad Copper assets. Just like it's no good saying, I'm going to buy Gold because Gold's up. You've you got to pick the right Gold assets. So Maybe if we can talk about some of the things which, you, which, which the company owns today. Because, you know, you've got assets and you've got Royalties. Or we'll talk of Royalties. So can you just talk us through how you go about um, identifying and qualifying and vetting what you invest in?
1: Very good question. In sales, they say, never argue with the customer. So I've been on the, the the global conference circuit for about 12 or 13 years. And I started to do keynotes where I would talk about energy or copper. And, and through that, you, you start to meet certain executives, senior executives. I'm talking of the top 10, top 15 copper mining companies in the world. And some of these people you actually, you, you get a friendship with and you can, you can understand their methodology, why, why they do certain things, why they don't do certain things. And I will tell people right now, and I can say this in the strongest possible way. There has never been in the history of resource extraction where the CEO has an idea and he demands that his engineers and his team know you will work that project in that area. No, they don't. They quit. You need to have the buy-in from the technical group and from the C-suite and they have to work together. And that's, of course, they often do because it'll come from the technical group. They say, we like this project and they put it up the food chain or it'll go from the food chain and say, Hey guys, what do you think of this? This is an interesting opportunity that we could partner. And when those two things are in harmony, that's when partnerships can be created. So we have a technical group in Copper Bank, eight different people. Most of them work with senior mining companies, very connected. And I, I can say that we're one degree of separation from the entire industry. I may not know everyone, but someone in my group is tied in with all the major companies. So we understood where they want to be. Where, where do they want to focus resources in the next 5, 10, 20 years? And I will tell you that, in, and I could say firmly, Arizona is a key jurisdiction. Nevada is a key jurisdiction. Peru and Chile are still there. A, a lot of interest is because of the geology and they're, they're open now to Ecuador. We're going to see what's going to happen with Colombia, but I think Ecuador is there for, for some advanced development. Mirador and Fruta del Norte have now been developed and people are monitoring how that goes. But I would say Arizona is one of, the, one of the key jurisdictions. So whenever we were acquiring a project, it had to have three criteria. One, can we send our children to work there? That's our risk tolerance number two did it has the project had a significant amount of capital spent on it because we're buying you know optionality plays we don't want the risk the additional risk of does the metallurgy not work is the is the is the ore body so bad or so flawed is the infrastructure so flawed that it'll never become a mine and and the third one is will someone more senior than copper bank actually entertain the idea once they once their team sees the evidence and the science on how we can make these things Either the quality of the resource better, or we can we can we can increase the size of the of the geological body, and the projects we have fit, fit that bill.
0: Okay, well, so, can we talk specifically about that? Because I, I get the jurisdiction thing, of course, and and you're right. There's some great countries, especially Ecuador, coming coming into the fray now. But in terms of the quality of the asset, that's what I'm actually interested in because you you talk generically there let's let's get into what you've got and you know what made you go for it because people don't get rid of the good stuff right and you weren't you know coming up with tens of millions of bucks here it's it was of a certain stage of a certain uh, standard so you know what was it that you were um, after
1: so our first project copper creek we can talk about first and it's located in um, Pinal County Arizona which is north of Tucson it, it's in the copper corridor the so-called copper corridor there are two major geological trends in Arizona. There's the one that goes north-northwest, and that's where you have Resolution and Ray in and, and, and those operations. And then you have the other trend that goes north-northeast, where you have Miami, Globe, um, Morenci and all those operations. Those two trends intersect exactly at Copper Creek. So Copper Creek has what is the largest concentration of these breccias in North America, over 400. And they were drilling them and only, only 10% have been drill tested to date. So the, the, the group that owned that project before us, they moved it forward. They invested about 85 million US dollars, 220,000 meters of drilling, concentrated in, in the central area. Parallel to that, they were able to acquire various different patented mining claims, different partnerships, consolidated to one large 16 square kilometer package, or sorry, 16 square mile package. So we believe that the other 350 some odd breaches need to be uh, further drill further explored, and we're starting with a resource that uh, IMC put a, 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 a 43-101 compliant resource in 2012. Now it's not contemporary; we don't consider this to be uh, contemporary, but it was done to 43 standards, and people can look at all the disclosure. Within our presentation, and you can see with the starting point on that project is uh, about 500 million tons of measured and indicated, and roughly the same of uh, of inferred. So just just short of 1 billion tons of uh, of all category copper. So we believe that, and we are showing this to, to various groups to go and partner with us to do further exploration drilling to go and, and look at these other 360 breccia pipes. Okay. So that's that, that's the first project, yep. Copper Creek. Okay. And and, and we, we feel that that's going to be a project that um, is going to be interesting for a, a lot of different groups to, to partner with us. The next one we have is um, co- it's called Contact Copper. It's located in Elko County, Nevada. Now, this is a smaller project. It's Copper Oxide. So amenable to um, the SXCW um, op- type of operation. And that was, has 86,000 metres of drilling. And with SXCW, you have to have an arid uh, landscape. You have to have close proximity. You have to have water, you have to have electricity ideally close proximity to acid and and of course there should be a private property component. We're going to have to do a heat bleaching there and that project was uh, moved forward by a group out of, here in Vancouver, Canada owned by one fellow Arnold Armstrong who over over 30 years was able to cobble this together including the private property which they've invested some four million dollars to acquire. And now we have a, a PFS that was put out in September of 2013. Which does it does need enhancements, but the, the fatal flaw in this project it does not work at 250 copper. This project requires, according to the PFS, three dollar and twenty cent copper, and ideally three fifty to really make the project work. And there are, there are groups that, that that they like these cathode on site type projects, these um, uh, SXEW operations. So we would like to be able to move that forward and ideally partner with a group that's looking to uh, sort of augment their existing uh,
0: portfolio. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Um, So, just on on Copper Creek, I mean, that's a lot of eighty-five million bucks spent on it. That's a lot of a lot of money. Um, They got it through to PEA level back in two thousand thirteen. So, you obviously have some sense of the economics back then. You'll need to revise that and optimize that, I, I guess. But you're looking for a partner to come in and help you move that forward. Is that that's what you're saying?
1: Yeah, unequivocally. I'm not. I'm not building any copper mines. We're not. We're not qualified to do that. We're. We're. We treat it like a real estate holding, and that PA was done as a shallow underground mine. We would not. We think the methodology there should be to go and do um, a significant exploration program around the, the vertical drilling they did at the at the current resource. I think you need to. That needs to be done, and it has to be done methodically. It'll take multiple years, and it'll be. You know, really a, a larger budget and it can only be done by a larger company. This should not be something done by a smaller company. You have to have the bandwidth and the ability to, to really delineate. And so you know, is this going to be a shallow underground mine or is this going to be a large open pit? And that is unknown. That's an unknown at this point.
0: Okay. So can you give me a sense of the type of deal that you'd be looking to construct there? Because obviously, you know, with a with market cap like yours, I guess anyone coming in is going to feel that they're on the front foot. But you, I mean, you talk a very the surface language there, I th- I, you know, and I think you will argue the case. But what realistically do you think you're going to be able to put together, or what do you want to put together? Because I'm assuming those conversations haven't yet started.
1: Yeah. Well, traditionally, these smaller companies are doing these joint venture type deals, where if the, if the larger company spends so much money, uh, you get to earn X percentage. Be- because we're owner operators and because we're investors, I, there, there, there's all kinds of deals that could be possible. So uh, I can't eat my shares. I, I'm looking for maximum value on a per share basis. And I want to turn as the exit strategy, as people all understand, the best outcome we can have is is to be taken over. And because Copper Bank has various different assets, it won't just simply be you know, the company, it will be the project, which means Copper Bank survives, or if it eventually becomes a shell company with cash, we will always be looking to do something else progressive within the Copper space. So. I think the best outcome that we would have and something that I would put forward to our board and for our shareholders to vote on would be um, simply either a share, which we give back to the shareholder from from a a larger company or a cash takeover of that individual project, which we would then look at, of course, returning that cash to our shareholders, keeping some in the kitty to look for another undervalued opportunity. And like I say, everyone in our team, they, they own tens of millions of shares. We're highly motivated to do something like that. I can reinforce that statement. Usually, these junior mining companies, people are surviving. They're doing it because of their stock options. They don't have a lot of equity. We have everyone in our group is motivated by by the equity. So when Julio Bonifacio, he, he's now he's my chairman. When he retired from Nevada Copper, he came in. He wrote a check, seven hundred thousand hard dollars, no warrant. Came in. He's a partner. He has not so much as expensed a sandwich since he since he's been involved with the company, and. It's straight equity. So my, even our, our, our options, other than the new member that came on, I, my options expired. My original option package, they have never been reset. You know, the options are, is a small portion of my compensation. The shares that I've paid for is 95% of my compensation. So we want to see something progressive happen there. So we're very, I would say we're very aligned with the share, with our shareholders.
0: You're very very aligned, and I guess what I'm trying to get, and you're very incentivized because you know everyone's kind of underwater, you know. So you you all want it to happen. I'm what I'm trying to get at is how do you make it happen? Is have com- I don't know how long you've had the asset, but have com- how much has been spent on it? Have conversations begun? Is there a plan to try and monetize that so you you can all recoup, you know, what what's been spent so far, and hopefully you know get some upside to it. So. What's, what's, the, what's the plan, just on, just on uh, Copper Creek, say, for instance, what's the plan to monetize that?
1: Every company will tell you that they have all these you know, non-disclosure agreements with how many senior companies. We're no different than them. And it's, in, when the market becomes very negative, frankly, it's a buyer's market. So we, we, would, we would look at acquiring something. You know, I am not going to sell real estate in, in a panic environment. That's that makes no common sense, so I think if a fair deal presents itself, it's not going to present itself next week because look at where we are um, I, I will I would say that earlier this year there, there was um, there's a lot of interest in, in visiting the project and understanding the, uh, the type of geology and we have all of our core is very well organized it's in adjacent to the project in the town of San Manuel so people spend days at a time analyzing. The data, then that's what we paid for. So that's it's a buyer's market right now. I think that uh, it, at these levels, we would not be selling a project unless it would have a significant premium.
0: Great. Okay. I think that's where I wanted to get to. I feel like you're sitting on some real estate, it has some value. You need to wait for the market to recover. Obviously, COVID 19 hasn't really helped, certainly with the battery thematic. There's a few, you know. I think supply chains there have been sort of devastated to use a phrase from a CEO we interviewed this week. Um so and you're you've got a very low GNA. I think you make a big deal about it in, in the presentation. Your overheads are negligible. We, we
1: can talk about that. I can really I can show people exactly why. Why, yeah. why is the GNA?
0: Yeah, I mean talk talk to that. Why is it so low?
1: So people look at our technical group. There's a if if they understand I don't pay one dollar in compensation to that technical group. Not one. They're all aligned with the shareholder. I don't even pay rent. So our headquarters in San Manuel, the group's previous acquired the building and all the development land in the town of San Manuel. I just have to pay property tax, a few thousand dollars a year. Um, in Vancouver, we have no office. We're not paying any office rent there. And also along the way, these groups, both in Nevada and in Arizona, uh, I would, in excess of 10 million US dollars has been spent acquiring real property. So, the access ranch to Copper Creek, they bought it. The final payment was made by Anglo-American when they had a joint venture with the previous operator, uh, Red Hawk Copper. They paid the last $400,000 payment. Okay. And along the way, there's all these other, if you look at the presentation, everything in purple and red is private property in Copper Creek. Everything with the Nevada project, the ranch that Arnold Armstrong bought, 2,650 acres, including Uh, Many of the building lots of the town of contact on the way to the project, you know, we own that. That's real property. He spent four million dollars along the way buying that all up. So it's unusual for a junior mining company to talk about their real estate holdings. And of course, a lot of this is uh, associated to the projects. But it's worth something, you know. And more importantly, doesn't cost anything to maintain that. And then we have our BLM claims and our Arizona state mining claims, which are modest. It's about ninety thousand dollars and in the BLM claims in Nevada are $37,000. My audit we just completed it, $26,000. That's what I'm paying Smythe. So when you look at those costs and the, you know we simply don't have them. So now that we've streamlined the business, the uh, our pyramid project which was one of our earlier holdings, it was uh, that that um, option was terminated by uh, the Native Corporation. We didn't spend any money on the project for a couple of years and we decided to focus on these You know, 100% owned private property projects in the lower 48, and we're looking at other opportunities. I would say the word there is accretive. You know, it doesn't matter how low our share price goes. We're buying something. If we buy it, it's going to be yet accretive to to where we are on a per pound basis. So that's why now, if our share price was to never go higher, which I believe it will, but if it was to stay here in the doldrums, we have about 2% dilution per year to maintain the portfolio and we will not be going to the street for that. I'm not going to be issuing warrants. We will simply self-finance this and people will will see that we typically do this slightly above the market. Um, And it's always done We're very important because you're doing this in-house and it's one or two investors. Every time we issue those shares, they're not coming back in the market because if you're issuing shares with these warrants, you know, people recycle the cash, you know, so where, where's our inventory coming from? Well, people, we issued shares to buy projects and it's understood. They were already in, you know, it was a calamity. And then sometimes they just capitulate. They just get out. But anyone who's selling their shares is losing 90, 95% of what they paid for them based on those, the, the previous operators. Everyone in my company, I've, I've consolidated my position. I, I bought a lot of stock at $0.04, cents, 5 $0.06. Cents, and my financings were done in reverse order, $0.06, cents, $0.07, cents, $0.08. Cents. Thirteen cents, fifteen cents, twelve cents, right? Progressively higher than where the share price is today.
0: Okay, so just just for this, keep this simple for everyone at home. When you were saying earlier, it's an option play. It's an option play because your finance, well, financiers and promoters really. You're not miners or explorers. You're buying a copper asset which will have, you believe, a significantly higher in the near future than it does today. Without having to do very much at all, because there's a lot of data, people have spent tens of millions of bucks on these things, and you think that has some value which is not necessarily being reflected in today's share price or or market cap. Is that is that a fair summary?
1: Exactly. Let's get to brass tacks. My market cap, if people buy my stock today at five cents, that's a 15 million Canadian market cap. So that's 11 million U.S. dollars. Okay, 11 million. Why do I think it's a 10 bagger? There's 120 million US has been spent on the portfolio. That's a 10 bagger. The optionality on an MPV basis, because we do have economic studies, that one was pub- they're both published in 2013. Now we believe they can be enhanced. Uh, the lower tax rate's got to be brought into that, and there's other things that we can do. Of course, we want to grow these resources. But just based on those studies, once the copper price goes above $3, because they're uneconomic, just like most of the projects in the world are uneconomic under three dollars. But on, on an MPV basis, if I never issued a share again, of course I have to do this two percent valuation per year. But just you'll go with me for a second here. Every twenty-five cents that the copper price goes higher above three dollars, the net present value of the portfolio goes up by three hundred million U.S. dollars. So that's, you know, if you if, so at three twenty-five, at three fifty, at three seventy-five. That's a dollar a share. Think of the torque on that. So every 25 cents that Copper price moves higher, we get to a 350 Copper price environment. <clears throat> Once again, you get a 20X type return and Copper, co- copper development companies will typically trade at about 10% of the NAV. Some trade at 20, some trade at 25, go on the low end of the, sc- of the scale. <clears throat> so if we simply trade at 10% of our NAV, You know, our our MPV collectively goes through a billion dollars after after you get through a a, a 350 copper, 375 copper. So, that's at 375, it's four dollars a share on a net present value basis. So, if I capture 10% of that, that's 40 cents a share. That's an eight-bagger. Haven't done a thing. That's why I believe our share price had such um, such an explosive response in 2017. So. That's something that we're looking at, and that's that's why we have to maintain the the, the per share base, the value on a per share basis. Okay, does that make sense?
0: It, look, it's, it's, it's one sense? way of calculating it for, for sure. But you know, we we, we have talked to companies with nows of a billion bucks, and they're no, you know, they don't achieve those sorts of numbers. But there's lots of variables which will, will affect people's ability to believe, and you know, the the, the sentiment around it is the, the, the commodity is important. Um, the you know, the management's ability to tell the story is really really important um, but mostly it's about you know can this thing get into some kind of economic pr- production uh, at some point people have got to believe that it's capable of doing that so you know I, I believe in the copper thematic for sure um, you know and I think that you need to you know help people by telling the story you know more and more to people like us so they, they, they get the optionality play because There's not too many people with the optionality play going out there. There's normally miners trying to tell you how they're going to get this thing into production at some point. So, you know, you've got a very different model. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me give
1: you one more metric. So if we if you could if you could see a scenario where where these the more senior companies are, their teams are looking for expiration projects for them to move forward. And if they understand that. There's been a lot of failure, and they're not going to go back to certain areas, and they're they're not going to go looking too much, you know, green fields. They want to go back and look at these projects that have been delineated, and can they enhance the um, the geological footprint? Both of our projects have that um, that ability. So then the metric is they know they already know in-house. It costs three or four cents to delineate a copper pound. They already know that. So if we look at a metric, and you asked me about ten minutes ago. What's a good starting number? If I was to say to someone, "How about we go 50% of the money that's already been spent on the project?" How do we work around that as a starting point? They're, if you look at it in one way, they're getting a good deal on the existing drilling. They get access to the project eventually on a, on a 100% basis. So, if you look at that metric, and which I don't think is fantastical, that's 60 million U.S. dollars. You know, based on if you just cut the, the existing spending. And cut it in half so once again you have a 5x or 6x type of um, type differential between where our current share price is so and I, and I, I really believe that those things are, are they're valid and I think they, they, they know they know internally how much failure there's been and to find something that's got five or ten billion pounds it's, you know there's a lot of misses along the way. You know, let alone all the different other pitfalls that you have that we talked about already.
0: Yeah, I guess the proof is going to be in the pudding for you know when when the market recovers, when you're able to have conversations with groups who are looking for copper projects. You know, I I think you're in the right jurisdiction for sure, and you know there's there's a lot of data and a lot of money being being spent. Um, And any kind of when you get into the weeds with them, will you have a better idea of you know what this could mean for you, given that you're not the guys who are going to be you know, developing the projects. It's going to be someone else. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what type of deal you can construct, whether you get carried, whether you get some cash up front, uh, whether it's a long lead return time, depending on how much money they spend each year. It will
1: not be a long lead return time. I'll say this unequivocally. Frank Holmes and myself were the two largest shareholders. It's a return of capital outside of share price appreciation. And we have the tools to be able to do that. So picture in the theater of your mind. This is a forward-looking statement. Copper Bank has four divisions. We've got our holdings company, which does own real estate. We own a couple buildings. We own development land or other things, right? So that we keep that. We're not going to sell that. We have the royalty business, which is organic. We can we can attribute a, a one or two percent royalty to both of our projects. That's something that has more value when when there's a, a partner that can take it to the finish line. Because right now you have to discount that dramatically to, you know, to, to to some point where it has very small value, which is why we're not going to be like the other junior companies that sell for peanuts, a Royalty that you know, when it would be a project in operation is worth some hundreds of millions of dollars. Why would you sell that for a million? Makes no sense. We will not do that. We'll keep that for the shareholders. But, but when it's the right time, we will spin that out and we will give that back to each shareholder. And they're taking me to task, all of my key guys, and then we have the projects. So, if and when we're to move that forward, we're highly motivated to create a share dividend, or, or or if it's cash, it's it's a return of cash. Keep some of that in Copper Bank, which then fortifies the holding company that would have cash and holdings, and you can repeat that process with both Copper Creek and Contact. So there really is four different individual types of businesses. So if you take our market cap of 11 million or 12 million U.S. dollars. And I could I could forcibly do this right now. For me to spin out the royalty company would not be complicated. Wouldn't be expensive. And I believe it's worth more in the future. So the market will decide what that's worth if it was spun out. And and, and same can be said for both Contact and Copper Creek. And if you look at the market cap high. So the, what did I buy? Copper Creek was owned by Red Hawk. Previous market cap high 120 million. International and Exco that own Contact. Look look they were raising money at four dollars a share, previously. Once upon a time, you know, we bought we bought them for it was uh, on their share price it was uh, 15 cents, so it's it's unbelievable, unbelievable that how how manic this market is. It's just incredible.
0: It is all about cycles, and timing.
1: Foggy, I know we, It's it's kind of a complicated story, but it's people have to look at it in a simplistic way. If you allocate a dollar, can you make five?
0: There you go. That's so what it's about. Just one, one last one. So what's, what's the next big move for you? Or is it really, really is a sit, sit and hold and wait strategy?
1: Uh, we've got feelers out there to buy other things, but I, I am a speculator. I invest in other uh, other companies as well. And I've, I've taken some uh, 3 and 4% positions in other holdings um, and they're cheap. So I think um, I'm going I'm to ride that out. And I've also, I'm captivated with helium. Yes. Helium is such an interesting commodity. So yes. I've taken a big stake in um a company called Desert Mountain is going to be drilling in Arizona with the highest grade helium ever ever produced 8 to 10%. So that's a, that is a just a classic speculation and uh, we'll see how that goes. But you have to tell everyone helium is something that people should do some research on. And and lithium, I think lithium is something that is going to be with no matter which battery chemistry they go with, all these other, you know, global firms, the common bond is going to be going to be lithium. So I think um, I'm going to go in the way of direct Lithium extraction, not hard rock mining, not the solars of South America, but can those technology companies crack that code? So privately I own over a million, I have access to over a million acres in Alberta of, of, of Lithium petrobrides. And that's in a private company called Lithium Bank. And that'll be coming to a theatre near you. And it, it's, um, it's a very exciting opportunity. So I'm the largest shareholder of that as well. And I follow a couple other companies, Velo uh, Mining, uh, Ross Beattie's Equinox, I like so for a little portfolio, and I love, I love Robert Friedman's Ivanhoe. I think that's an absolute no-brainer. So it's not just about Copper Bank. I'm an investor. Your your readership, viewership are are investors as well. Those are ten interesting companies, and I was very impressed with uh, Alex Black. His real, that's I missed that one when it got down to 16 cents. Boy, what about the hell out of it? <laughs> but uh, but that that looks interesting. I think that one at 50 cents is uh, good speculation. Brilliant! There you go. It's not all about Copper Bank. It's about a portfolio. Don't put all your money into one company.
0: Good advice. Sage-like advice. Yeah. And I agree with exactly. you. I agree with you. Yeah. Johnny, look, stay, stay in touch. Let us know what's going on, um, especially Helium. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that too. I think it's certainly worth looking at. Oh yeah. yeah they, um, I can
1: connect you with the guy. I think that's uh, that would be a very, if in, your viewers would really like that interview. I think that would be a
0: good one. Do it. Make it happen. Make it happen. I will.